Oh, mate, awesome. Well, hey, you know what? Welcome to week three of Rocktober, our current series. And you know, don't want to miss a thing, was Aerosmith's number one song after it was featured in the film Armageddon. It like sent them straight to the top. What a great rock song. You know, all the way through this series, we've just been having a look at some of the biggest rock songs and seeing if there's just some lessons that we can learn and things that we can pull out of them. So this week's no different, and it's don't want to miss a thing. You know what? I just want to say this right at the very top, right at the very beginning of what I'm going to say to you tonight is this. If you're new here today and this is your first time with us Liverpool One Church, as Becky's already said, you're so welcome here. We, we really are so happy that you're here. And if you've just come deciding to check us out and you're our guest, we just want you to feel that whatever you're going through in life and wherever you're at right now and wherever life finds you today here at Liverpool One Church, you're loved, welcomed, accepted, and you're so welcome here today. So thank you for checking out church. You know, something about me, if I'm honest, I hate alarms. Can't stand them. Don't like my alarm that wakes me up in the morning. To be honest with you, I think because they're not physically mentioned in the Bible, I actually think they're sinful, and I think we ought to get rid of them out of our lives altogether. Absolutely. I mean, who, who likes their alarm? No one, no one likes their alarm that wakes them up in the morning, right? And I just really don't get on too well with mine. I mean, I've actually got my alarm ready for you, so can we just play my alarm? I know, I know, yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? That actually is my alarm that wakes me up in the morning. That is the Apple alarm. It's called Summit, if you want to download it, although I wouldn't bother because it really will put you in a foul mood first thing in the day. So that, that is my alarm. Now, I remember a few years ago, and um, this maybe you can see yourself in this, that my alarm went off. I was in a nice deep sleep, and I snoozed it, and then it went off again, and I snoozed it. And then it went off again, and I kind of like slept through it. And then eventually, this happened for that many times that I ended up having a phone call off my boss who asked me where I was because it was so late into the day. It was like late morning, practically lunchtime. I never ended up going into work that day and ended up missing out on a whole day's pay just because I'm bad with alarms. I mean, how crazy is that? You miss a day's pay. You miss like money because you're bad with alarms. Nowadays, I don't really have that problem because I got married to Vicky and praise God, she's awesome with alarms. God's blessed me with a woman who wakes up in the morning and because she's up and awake, she wakes me up, which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, I'm still terrible at alarms. I'm still really bad, but she's awesome at it, so that's cool. So all my problems now, they're not surrounding my waking up in the morning. They're not surrounding my, my entrance into the day. All my issues surrounding sleep are at the other end of the day, in the evening, when I'm trying to get to sleep. Let me explain it to you like this. You see, in my personality type, I am easily distracted. It's one of the things about me, you don't have to know me for very long to know that I am actually easily distracted. And anyone who works closely, closely with me or knows me quite well will say that if they come into my office and anything that they're doing is slightly more interesting than the thing that I'm doing, it won't take an awful lot to drag me off course and get me doing what they're doing, and I'll kind of be like, yeah, I'll be back to that in a minute. I'm kind of like, oh, squirrel. So I'm sort of like, I, I, I sort of get easily distracted, and, and, and that's just kind of, that's just what I'm like. So when I'm trying to get to sleep at night, and if there's distractions as I'm trying to get to sleep, that's an issue for me. 
So, when we're dating, and Vicky says to me in one of our conversations when we were dating, oh, by the way, I, um, I talk in my sleep. Instantly, I'm kind of like, I'm a deep sleeper. That's cool. I mean, when I am out, I am asleep. You could put a brass band at the bottom of the bed. They could play. Fine. No problem at all. But while I'm going to sleep, that's an issue. So when she says to me, oh, P.S., I talk in my sleep, I'm like, no drama. I sleep like a corpse. It's all good. But then we got married. And shortly after we were married, I realized this was going to be an actual thing. So like, now I've got this actual thing going on. Because the time of night that we go to bed, or what we'd watched on TV before we'd gone to bed, or even what we'd eaten, all are things that would directly relate to how much she would talk as she was falling asleep. And I would find that there would be a pattern, and it would be kind of like the place where you're not quite dreaming, but you're not quite awake. It's in that little place in the middle where you're semi-awake. That's the place where these comments were coming from, and some of them were quite abstract. Now, as a husband who treasures his wife and realizes that he's to she's totally God's gift to my life, I tried to work out a way that I could kind of work with this in a way that we could sort of, you know, get through this and how I could support her. So what I did was I made a list and I wrote them all down. Now, it would actually be unfair of me to, to sort of bring them to you here, but I can tell you that some of them are actually quite amusing. You see, the only thing about that is, as well as being easily distracted, I'm also quite unfair. So here we go. So, you see, the thing is, imagine it's late. Imagine it's nighttime. We're lying there. I am practically asleep. And as clearly, I kid you not, as clearly as I am talking to you right now, we hear, we'll have to see if it's Margaret Thatcher's. <laughs> and I'm like, we'll have to see if it's what? Like, I think she's talking to me. Or, how are you getting on at the bottom? I'm like, the bottom of what? Oh, oh, no, not while they're all on tiptoes. Like, who's on tiptoes? I'm trying to go to sleep. But then there's a couple of my personal favourites. I mean, you know, this is just honestly in no particular order. You want to push round? Come on, just let me spin it. I'm like, spin what? I'm spinning, I'm trying to go to sleep. Or all the feet are upside down, even while your granddad was there. I'm like, feet, granddad, what on earth? Or there's always this one. No, they're my legs, not bread. I'm like, are you for real? Like, honestly, I'm trying to sleep, and I'm the guy who's easily distracted, and I've got talk about bread and feet and granddad, and everything's upside down. <laughs> honestly, so, so, so going to sleep is an issue for me, and it's an actual thing. I just get talked to. Just pass me the night, I'll, I'll be absolutely fine. But here's the thing. Maybe you don't miss out on sleep. Maybe your thing's something else, but I think it's fair to say that at some point in our lives, we've all missed out on something, right? I mean, we've all missed the bus, or we've all missed the doctor's appointment, or we've all been on a journey somewhere, and we've missed the turning on the motorway, and those kind of things, they can, they can get on your nerves. I think it's all fair to say that maybe most of us have missed out on some stuff. Maybe um, you've missed out on a relationship that you were a part of, because some of the things are a bit more serious. Maybe you've missed out on a relationship that you really felt was going somewhere, that you really felt would be great for you. And maybe now that thing's gone, you're just kind of like, well, where does that leave me now? And truth be told, you'd actually love to be part of a, of a, of a relationship like you were. But you think that maybe you're not going to have that anymore. 
Maybe what if that's gone and you just don't have that opportunity anymore? Oh, yeah, you wonder if God's like got that special someone for you, but truth be told, you just don't know. There's no guarantees, and you kind of used to pray, used to believe, and you used to think that God maybe would have brought that special someone across your life who you'd so want, but you just don't see it happening. And it almost feels like your turn's come and gone, and you're kind of like, well, have I, have I missed out on that now? Is that, is that just me? Is that just my lot in life? Or maybe all you young people in here, what? If it's you who feel like you're stuck in a job that you hate, living for weekends that you love, because that's when you get to do what you really want to do, because just because the job pays all right money, but when you're there, you feel like I'm just destined for so much more than this, and I'm missing out on the best days of my life because I'm stuck here, and I'm working here, and I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing whatever it is. I want to be doing something else. I can see myself doing something else. I'm not even using my giftings in this job, but here I am stuck here because the money's okay and it brings in some cash and maybe you feel as if you're missing out on the best days of your life because you're just destined for more. And and what if that's your lot? What if it's because of where you were born? What if because of your socioeconomic group and where where it is you find yourself you automatically think that you've missed out on certain things. What if no one in your family's ever been to uni? What if no one in your family's ever had a successful marriage or a well-paid job? What if that's where you find yourself today? And you're kind of like, I would love those things, but honestly, no one in my family's ever really achieved anything like that, so I'm out. I've missed out on those things anyway. What if that's where you find yourself today? What if you've missed out on happy family life, maybe because a parent's died, or maybe both your parents died, or maybe you were married and your partner left, or you were married and you left. What, what, if, what if you had a magic lamp and a genie, and your one wish would be that you could just mend all the broken relationships in your family, because it's like sparks fly when they're all together, and it's so crazy, but I really wish I could have happy family life. What if I've missed out on that now forever and my chance has come and gone? What if I'll never get that chance again? Will things ever feel the way they used to feel or be the same again? Will I ever get what it is that I want? And, you know, I think it's a totally fair thing that we say, what if I have missed out? Because I feel like everyone here has missed out on some stuff at some point in time. And we're wondering, is that it for me now? Have I just missed out on that thing now? Do I just not get that thing? Do I, do I not get another shot at that? But you know, there's something that's worse than feeling like you've missed out. Maybe you felt like this. It's feeling like you've missed out for good. Like there's no way back. Like there's no more second chance. And if you feel like you've missed out for good, then that's a bit of a game changer. So we're just going to have a few minutes today and we're going to look at the answer to this question, have I missed out for good? Because no one anywhere likes it when a door that you feel would be so good for you to walk through, a thing that you feel would be so beneficial for your life. No one likes it when that thing, that thing gets removed. No one likes that. What if you had one chance to pass your driving test? You only had the one. And you took it, you failed it, and you're done. Imagine the sense of loss that we would all feel. 
not being able to drive purely because we missed our only chance, <clears throat> excuse me, to pass that driving test. And because we've failed the test, that's it now, done. But there's so many more things in life that are far more serious than a driving test. There's so many more things in life that we can feel that same sense of loss for. You know, the really great thing about being a follower of Christ, being a Christian, is that we get to believe in a God who's the God of second chances. We get to believe in a God who says that our best days are yet to come. We get to believe in a God who's, who's all about restoration. And as Christians, as Christ followers, we get to actively pray into and change the way our lives end up. We get to hope for a better future and we get to look forward to what's to come rather than dread that what we have felt is all about loss. And you know, if there was ever a, a group of people in the Bible, a, a grouping of people who would have been forgiven for feeling as if they'd missed out for good, it would have been the Israelites when they were getting led out of Egypt from being slaves under Pharaoh's rule by Moses to the promised land. It would have been that grouping of people who would have been forgiven for feeling as if they'd missed out. You see, the thing about the Israelites, the point to remember is that they were an entire nation of people who didn't have a land to call their own. They didn't have anywhere to belong. They didn't have anywhere that they actually could live and exist as their nation of people. They were very much like if you took all the people in England and moved everybody to France, say, and we all lived as slaves to the French, but we were British. It was, it was a nation full of people who lived as slaves to another, to another nation. And they would just have been, we, I mean, imagine that. We'd have just been desperate to get out and get our own land. Now, the thing was <clears throat> that God had given them their own land. God had given them one already. And all they had to do, it was a done deal. All these guys had to do was to follow Moses, obeying God, and do as they were told, and follow the instructions. And Moses led them out of Egypt, and he was going to lead them all the way to the promised land. But I feel like they did what we so often do. And I feel like they couldn't follow the most simple of instructions because they lived by what they saw. They didn't live by the way that God was actually instructing them. They lived by what they could see in front of them. And they lived governed by certain different things that, are, if we're honest, I think we all live by too. You see, time after time, they failed to believe that God was actually going to come through for them. Time after time, they failed to see that God was actually going to look after them and bring them through and deliver them from what they were going through. And they always worried and they always moaned and they always complained. And it was always over lack of faith in God and who he, who he was and what he was going to do for them. You know, the actual journey time from Egypt to Canaan is actually 11 days roughly, give or take. But it took these guys 40 years to make that journey time. The actual journey time should have been 11 days. But I just feel like if they'd chosen to trust in God and do exactly as they were told, I feel like they would have made it in an awful lot less time than it took them to do. And let's not forget that when these guys are getting led, when this whole nation full of people is getting led out of Egypt, we're going to go somewhere in a story in a minute, but where we're going to go to is happening after God's delivered them from Egypt. It's happening after he's led them by a pillar of um, cloud in the day, 
a great big pillar of cloud to lead them in the right way, a pillar of fire to lead them at night. It's after he parted the Red Sea and they've all walked across the seabed, which was dry. And then God's closed the water after them to drown the army who was chasing them. So there's been some fairly major miracles that are going on that's led them to the point where we get to, where we're going to join the story. So instead of simply choosing to believe that God was going to continue to have their back and continue to look after them and continue to provide for them, they chose to believe something quite different. They were governed by fear. They were governed by doubt. And they were very, very quick to forget all those amazing things that God had just done for them. They were so quick to forget. And if we're honest, I feel like we're the same sometimes. Like when we hit that hard patch in life, we forget that the job that he gave us two years ago, or when we hit that financial trouble, we forget the bonus that we just got six months ago in work. And when we hit that hard patch, we forget the scan result that was all clear. And we so often forget the good things that happen. We don't remember the miracle baby when all hope seemed gone or the marriage that got restored when it seemed like it was completely in tatters. We don't forget the great thing. We, we don't remember, sorry, the great things that God does sometimes in the light of everything that he's done, our faith should be sky high. And I just feel like as the Israelite nation, we're going through some stuff. There's a lot of similarities between you and I and the way that they behaved. You know, it seems like in a lot of cases, they had short-term memory loss. They really did. There was a disconnect between what they could see and what they believed. Excuse me. So where we're going to join, um, where we're going to join it is Exodus 16, verse 4. And um, this is basically the Lord speaking to Moses. So Exodus 16, 4. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread for you. Uh, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this, I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Now that happened exactly like God said it would. Every single night, the bread came down from heaven. Every single day, the people went out. But it seemed like even under that kind of a promise from God, they couldn't stick to exactly the right plan. Because then we read in verse 20, However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning where it began to get bad and maggots began and it began to smell. Maggots were in the bread. So Moses was angry with them. You see, the thing is, they were so gripped by fear that they weren't going to get a meal the following day. They couldn't even believe that God was going to provide a meal for them the following day. So they decided to keep half of the bread until the following day and it got bad. Eventually, Even God gets a bit exasperated with them. And in verse 28, he speaks to Moses again. And he says, then the Lord said to Moses, how long are you going to refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Almost like a parent saying to a child, how many times have I got to tell you? Like, seriously, how many times have I got to go through this? Exodus 17, again, the very next chapter, they're moaning again about needing water to drink. And they go to Moses again, and they're saying to Moses, does God seriously want us to die out here in the desert? This is after everything else that we've just said. Every miracle that he's done, 
does God really want us to die? So then God tells Moses to hit a rock with his big staff and water comes out of it that they can drink. Another miracle. There's miracle after miracle after miracle happening. These incredible things like someone hits a stick with a rock. I mean, I'd be fairly impressed by that. And water comes out of it for them to drink. But still, they seem to doubt all the time. They're motivated by something other than faith. They're motivated by fear and doubt. And what if? And if we're really, really honest, how many times do we all do that? How many times do do we set up camp and stay in a place called fear or a place called worry or a place called what if? How many times do do we all do that? We all do the same. And I think the danger is if we stay there, if we stay in a place of lack of faith and, and stress and worry and what if, if we stay there, then it might also take us 40 years to accomplish what God wants to do, maybe in 11 days in our life as well. And that's just a huge waste of everyone's time. So, you know, what if you're here today and you feel like, yeah, there is, there is something that I really feel like would be really great for me. And if I'm honest, I feel like I've kind of lost out and I feel like I've missed it. And I feel like I've missed out. And now it's beginning to feel like I've missed out, maybe for good. Well, what do I do? Well, you know, the incredible news is that, as I said before, God is the God of the second chance, as well as being the creator of earth and the universe and everything on the planet. He is also the God of the second chance and he's a God of restoration. So we get to believe and we get to ask and we get to see that our best days are still ahead of us and we haven't actually missed out on anything because God's actively desiring and actively wants to be in relationship with every single one of us. He wants to restore us. He wants to give us, the Bible tells, he wants to give us the desires of our hearts. He wants to restore us to way further than we ever were before. So he won't just restore you to where you were. He'll restore you so far past where you were that he will just blow your mind and give you the desires of your heart. And today I've just got three very short points. There's nothing crazy. There's no rocket science in there. But these are just three keys that if we can remember these things, these three simple points, it will stand us in a far better, far better place to be able to believe that our best days are yet to come. And the first point tonight is this, just keep going. You've got to remember, just keep going. I told you they weren't rocket science. It's like Dory says on Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. You know, I love, I love Pixar, so biblical, honestly. But, but like, just be consistent. Just be consistent, keep on going. If you don't want to miss out on the best that God has for you, you must remember that God's promise may not be easy, but it's always worth it. You know, if I could sum up the whole of my academic life in school, right up until my exams when I left, if I could kind of wrap all my schooling years up and all my learning, if I could sum it all up in two words, I would sum that whole section of my life up as massively average. 
That would just be where I would sum up my schooling. I mean, honestly, my, like, my maths coursework, that's due to a guy called Danny Christian. Danny, honestly, if you're watching this on podcast, dude, I owe you big time. Like, you come hook me. Like, you can find me. I'll hook you right up. Because I just used to copy off him in the corridors, if I'm honest. All my, all my maths coursework was all his. If he wrote, I don't know, I wrote, neither do I. It was that simple. I just didn't get some stuff in school. I was never a great studier. I really, it didn't come naturally to me. It doesn't come naturally to me now. And the whole learning thing, it's just, it just not my strong suit in life. So when I left school... I got a whole long line of jobs that didn't involve me studying. They just didn't involve any reading or learning or any kind of academicness whatsoever. So now, today, now I work here at the church and I lead a group of people. You might have seen them. They're the band. They're awesome. They're far more talented than I am. They are absolutely incredible and highly, highly skilled bunch of people. And they're amazing. And I get the opportunity to stand here on the platform and speak, which is an amazing privilege. Now, it's essential that I learn, and it's essential that I study, and it's essential that I do all these things that aren't my strong suit. And even though it's such a struggle for me to knuckle down and zone in and learn some things, I need to read, and I need to listen, and I need to learn, but it's just so worth it, and it's worth every sacrifice, because I believe that God's given me the opportunity to do what I get to do, and it's worth the hours, and it's worth the work, and it's worth all the studying that doesn't come to me so naturally. So the thing is, we just need to keep going, because God's promise may not be easy, but it's so, so worth it. You know, how, how does that look practically? How does it look to, to be consistent and to keep on going? It looks like loving people when you don't feel like it, It looks like being consistent and coming back to church, even if you're in a bit of a rough spell. It looks like choosing to stand with other people through their hard times while you're still in your hard time. It's just the skill of keeping on going. It looks like doing what isn't easy just because it's right. Doing what doesn't come easily just because it's right, and it looks like this. It looks like praising God just for who he is, even before you've got your miracle. Remembering how big the God is that we serve, we just have to keep on going. Point number two tonight is this. God knows where you are, even when you don't. Think about the Israelite nation, walking around in the desert, in circles, lost, 40 years. There will have been points when they were covered in dust. There'll have been points when they didn't have a clue where they were. There'll have been so many times in that 40 years where they had absolutely zero idea of where they were, no idea whatsoever, but God always knew where they were. He knew exactly where they were. He could could find their location in an instant because he always knew where they were and he always knows where we are. So the news tonight is no matter how far away you feel from God, no matter how lost you feel, no matter how far you feel you've gone, God knows your location, even if you don't. Even if you don't know how you got there, you would sit there and you'd go, I don't even, man, I don't even, I don't even get how I, how I found this place in life. God knows exactly where you are and he knows exactly how to bring you back. I feel like it's almost like the find my location button on Google Maps. If you just press that button, you just zoom straight into focus. No matter where you are on the globe, find my location and bang, you can, you can 
Google Maps, you can go outside. And what's the first thing everyone does on Google Maps? Go outside, find my location. Wow, look at the outside of my house. And here I am in the living room. You just find your location. You go, oh, well, look at that. No way. You could just walk outside and look at it from the street. But you, you find your location on Google Maps. You know, the difficulty about being so lost and so far away from God is that you're so far away from where you were but you can't yet see God's promise where you're going. The Israelites were far enough away from where they'd come from that they couldn't see it, but they were too far away from God's promised land that he was trying to take them to to be able to see that either. So they were in this nowhere land in the middle. They were, they were in this kind of place of nowhereness, and that's a really dangerous place that we can end up because when you're too far from where you've come from, and you start to forget where you've come from, but you can't yet see any sign of where you believe God's taking you, you can get lost in this place of nowhereness. And that's a really awkward place to be because you can get lied to in that place when you don't know where you came from and you don't know and you haven't reached yet where you're going. When you're in that place, you can believe those lies. And you'll start to believe things like, well, that's it now. You've missed it forever. You can't go back there because you don't know where it is. And you can't get to there because you've never been there yet. And you've missed it now forever. And you're totally on your own anyway and no one cares. And you'll believe things like, you're not enough. And you'll never be enough. And these things start to take root. And they start to live on the inside of you. And they go, you're so far from God. You'll never find him again anyway. And he doesn't even want you back. And God doesn't love me. You believe things like God doesn't love me. I don't love me. No one else loves me. Why would God love me? These are the things that you start to go around in your mind when you're in this place of lostness. But in the same way that a parent always knows where their child is, if you ever go to somewhere as a parent, I'm not a parent yet, but I'm guessing that all you parents, you know exactly where your children are. They're all in powerhouse, or so you think. They're all playing footy on the road. No, they're not. I'm kidding. We're a very, very safe church, all safeguarded here. But in the same way that a parent knows where their child is, God knows where you are. He knows your location all of the time. And you know, the third and final point today is, is very simply this. If you feel like you've missed out for good, God wants to restore you, not repress you. He wants to see you restored. And the Bible says that he gives you the desires of your heart. He wants desperately to see you restored. You know, he's the God of the second chance. And we read all the way through the Bible about where he heals people and he restores people and he builds people up and he gives people second chances. We read this all the time through scripture. It's in his nature. It's who he is. It's what he does. And you know, I felt this. I felt God's restoration in my life. Eight years ago in May, just gone, I lost my dad. And it was a very, very quick illness. And I remember where I was on the day when he got diagnosed and I had this phone call and I was in work that day and um, had this phone call off him because I knew he had this appointment. And they told him that day that there was a tumour and they told him that day that it was terminal and there was no chance. And they said... You've got six months, five and a half months later, he went to live with God. And I reacted, if I'm dead honest, 
I reacted in the same way that a lot of you would also react or maybe have also reacted at times in your life which were really challenging. And it was a really challenging time in my life. But God was good and, you know, he kind of helped me through. And even though at the beginning, I kind of couldn't make any sense of it. And I struggled to come to terms with it because I've always considered myself the type of person I'm a kind of a doer. I'll make things happen. And if it doesn't happen, well, I'll make it happen. And I really struggled to come to terms with it, but God was really, really good. And my walk with him was really close. And I just remember that as life settled down and life got back to normal, I remember that I'd struggle in work and I'd struggle with my focus and my attention would be bad and my attention span wouldn't be what it was. And I'd get really frustrated, I'd get really angry and i just have all these feelings like lack of tolerance for, for crazy small things and just wasn't able to carry on and if I'm honest, I was really struggling internally and then one day, it just came to breaking point in my life. It just all landed with me and I had nowhere else to go. I remember um, I was at home and um, I just knocked a drink over on the floor which stained on the carpet and ground floor of the house it was underneath was concrete and something in me just snapped and I completely lost it about the way I'd stained the floor it wasn't my house and I just like started to punch into the floor and all this anger and aggression was coming out of me and I don't even know what the score was but again and again and again I just pounded into the floor as hard as I could all this language is coming out of me and I was just completely and utterly at the end of myself. I couldn't stop. I could not stop. I was constantly pounding. And in the end, I had to stop because I couldn't feel my hands anymore. And I looked at both my hands and all my hands were red and swollen and it was like every bone in my knuckles was smashed and every bone at the back of my hands was all smashed. I looked at my hands and I couldn't feel them. I ended up in hospital that night having my hands treated and I'm there in the hospital and I'm just completely at the end of myself and I didn't want to talk and I didn't know what to do and then Luke came to see me in the hospital. That was awkward. Luke comes in and I'm like, hey! And he's like, what did you do? Because at the time I used to do some drumming in church and I, you know, I was kind of on team and he's like, wow, you know, wow. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, this, is, this is awkward, this is bad, yeah. And he had every opportunity to see me right out the door that night because of the way I'd reacted and the way I'd lost control and all the language and the anger. And Who wants the guy on team who can't control himself? Who, who wants that guy around? No one wants, no one needs that guy in the organisation. He had every chance to just go, dude, you're done, you're out. Look, we get someone else, someone who's calm. We, we just need you to step on side. But that's not what happened. You see, that night, I was totally shown what godly restoration looks like. And I remember what he told me. I remember it right now. He says to me, we're going to get you back. And we're going to get you back stronger than you were before. He says, we're going to grow you. And I'm going to do this with you. And we're going to do this together. I'm going to make sure that you come back and you come back strong. And that's what godly restoration looks like. It looks like putting your arm around someone and telling them that they're going to get through what they're going to get through because that's what Jesus would do. 
he got down in the dirt. He came to the hospital and he came to me and he said, we're going to get you back and we're going to get you back strong. And who knows where I'd be if I'd got kicked out the band that night, if I'd left church that night, who knows where I'd be. But I got shown a second chance. And I believe that that's what God wants to do with every single one of us. And it's exactly the same thing that happened with Moses and the Israelites. At any point along that road, he could have said, I'm done. They're always doubting. They're always running. They're always doing my head in. God, they're doing your head in too. I'm done. I'm walking away. But he didn't. He stuck at it. And some of them made it into the promised land. I say some of them, they were there for so long. Some of them were old. Some of them died. But hey, you know, most of them, that nation made it into the promised land because God restored them and they got all the way in. And I'm almost like, you know what? How long do some of us want to go in circles for? How long do some of us want to be missing out on God's best in our lives? How long do we want to be doing that journey for and failing? Being scared of going for another relationship? Being scared of another no at another interview? Being scared of all these things? Being fearful? How long do we want to stay doing that for? Because here's the thing, if you're thinking that maybe today you've missed out, maybe even for good, then I'm here to tell you, you haven't missed out on anything because the best days of your life, they're still out in front of you. And that promise that God had over your life, that thing, that desire in your heart, that thing is still in your future. And no matter how far you think you've gone from God, He knows where you are and He's still guiding you. He's still protecting you, just like He did with the Israelites for 40 years. He did it for them and He'll do it for you. And He will guide you all the way to His promise over your life. Because no matter where you are, and no matter where you're from, and no matter how far you've come or how far you feel you are from God, He knows where you are. And as we keep on going, and as we remember that He wants to restore us and not repress us, we will all find out that there's no past He can't redeem, there's no person He can't save, and there's no situation He can't change. And in the words of Aerosmith, if you feel like you've missed out, God doesn't miss a thing. Church, you know what? Time's gone. Stand with me while we pray. 